Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Dale's going to be a little jealous, I'm afraid. <laughs> Samuel Adams said, our unalterable resolution should be, be free. Like most in America, we're familiar with freedom. It's kind of our, our, our calling card. We fight wars to preserve freedom. We fight wars to establish freedom in other countries. But I want to know what is unique about Christian freedom. Christ says the truth will set you free. I don't, I don't know that, that we in America, or that the American freedom is the same as the, as the Christian freedom. So I'd like to explore that freedom dynamic, um, specifically from a Christian context. Um, and we're going to go back to Exodus initially. I think we'll, we'll learn early on that there's more than just the freedom to operate. So you remember the Exodus story, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians when God called Moses to lead them out of bondage. Moses said, let my people go. That was well-timed. For what purpose, though? Was, was the idea just to get the Israelites out of Egypt and then God was going to carry on with, with his business? No, the second clause of that statement says, let my people go that they may worship me. God's whole purpose for delivering the Israelites was to take them out of captivity, into a place where then they could worship him. It is a two-sided transaction, we could speak, so to say. Um, and there's more, there's more that is fleshed out here in the New Testament. Um, in Paul, I'm going to discuss three points that I think he gives us about Christian freedom. Number one, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ sets us free. We do nothing to earn this freedom. You can spend your whole life seeking freedom. You can spend our whole life in America, military or otherwise, pursuing freedom. And you can get American freedom. But the only f- Christian freedom that we have is granted to us by God. Solomon tried this pursuit in his life. He, he denied himself nothing that his eyes saw. And he concluded it was vanity. And I think that will be our same end should we pursue freedom apart from Christ. Number two, this freedom is not free. Paul says you were bought with a price. It was costly, and Christ paid that price. You can be on the right side of personal desires that will ultimately lead you, or possibly lead you, to the wrong side of eternity. It was purchased for us, this freedom was. You have no outstanding balance, no fees, no taxes, no debts. Your debt is paid in full, but there was a price. Finally, point number three, and this flows from that second point. You were bought with a price, and Paul says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I think this is a little bit of an echo to the Israelite passage. God pulls them out so that they may worship me. Paul says, you've been bought with a price, therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the so what for Christian freedom. I'm free. 
what's next for me. God says, I purchased you. You belong to me now. Don't worry about your past. I want you to participate in my mission for the world. God delivers us from freedom and commissions us to then glorify him. It's challenging indeed, and what makes it more difficult is the language that Paul uses. Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I think this should indicate the gravity with which Paul understood Christian freedom. It's not something that we do on weekends. It's not something that we take lightly. It is, it is our, our daily submission to God. Um, most importantly, we are not that master, okay? and for good reason, too. Left our own devices, we become slaves to sin. So we gladly submit to Christ. We become slaves to Christ and slaves to righteousness. Only then will we find freedom. I think Bob Dylan was right when he said, you got to serve somebody. I don't know that he cited scripture when he said it, but I would argue that it was good theology. So I'll leave you with Joshua's ultimatum that he gave to the Israelites. (laughs) Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Boyd Mann. Um, um, over the summer, I got into making music. Um, I love God and I love music, so I decided to put the two together. I've been making Christian rap songs, uh, but Dale won't let me rap on stage, so instead I'm going to do this. Um, most Christian rappers and musicians, uh, they, m- most of them have some kind of brand, some kind of motto that their music is based off of or that their fans follow or they follow. Um, so I was thinking about what mine could be. I was talking to a friend, and the idea that we had was GGPJ, which stands for God Gives Peace and Joy. And uh, the reason I chose that is because um, no matter what, whenever I'm writing my music, it can be I write this about God or about the Bible, no matter what, my pen always comes back to writing something about God's peace and joy. So that's what my brand's going to be, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So... Um, To start off, real freedom comes from God because of his peace and joy. Um, His peace and joy can really give us um, just the safety and security with with no worries. And even in the trial, he's still there and offers us peace and joy. It's really amazing. First, I'm going to be looking at John chapter 16, verse 33. Um, It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So right there, it's already some good news. Um, A little bit of bad news, but some good news. It says, in this world you have trouble. In other versions, it says trials and tribulations. And that's not not exactly something we want to hear. But after it says, but take heart, other versions, it says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's the good news. Because even though those bad things will still happen, we can have... uh, we can have a good attitude about it. We can have peace and joy about it because we know Jesus has overcome the world. And um, in the beginning, it says, I have told you these things. And a lot of people might take that to mean us, as, to be talking to us as the modern Christians. And it does still apply to us. But in this passage, he was talking to the disciples. So we go back a few verses to verse 24. It says, until now, you have not asked any, for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And right there, Jesus is laying the foundation for asking for things in Jesus' name. And it says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So what that's telling us is all we have to do is ask and we'll have peace and joy. I know that it just says joy, but if we go to 
Philippians chapter four, it's another great example, um, verses six and seven. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that's um, another great example. It says, in the, so it says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's where it tells us that we will have peace. And the verse before says to ask God, it says, present your requests to God. So what, that, what these two verses are telling us is that all we have to do is ask, and we will have peace and joy. It's, it's really amazing. And the thing that I like, I really like this example in Philippians because Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. And the great thing about this, well, it may not be as great, but he, Paul's in prison as he's writing this. And that's, that's amazing to me because if I'm in prison and I'm, you know, just having a bad day in prison, terrible, I'm not going to be writing to a church about peace and joy, but I just think it's amazing uh, that just proves how great God's peace and joy is, that even in prison, Paul's still writing and saying, hey, you can still have peace, and you can still ask God for that, and he'll give it to you. So I, I just think that's an amazing um, example. Um, some I write about, like I said, I write about peace and joy in some of my songs. Um, I'm on YouTube if you want to find me. Uh, my rapper name is Fantasy, F-N-T-S-Y. Um, all caps, and some of my lyrics um, I want to talk about. In one of my songs, it's called Burn Like Sodom. It's about how I don't want to fall away from God. And um, it's the lyric I'm talking about, how I want um, the unbelievers to come to Jesus. And the lyric says, and gain the joy and peace I get from him. The next lyric says, it doesn't mean everything is flowers and butterflies. So back to John 16, where it says, in the world you have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Um, so that's saying I can still have that joy and peace even through the hard times. And in another song, um, it's called Peace Box. I'm talking about um, the box of peace that God offers us. And the lyric is, so I don't get rocked by fear, sadness, and despair, which God's peace and joy can help us out of. Um, so to summarize all that, all you have to do is pray and God's peace and joy will come to you. Sometimes uh, it's not always instantaneous. It's a process, but it's truly amazing. And I'm going to make GGPJ, God Gives Peace and Joy, I'm going to make that, that my brand. Um, and I challenge you guys to do the same. I think it'd be amazing if we could all have that peace and joy. Thank you. Good morning. So when my wife heard that I was doing this and, and heard that I accepted to do this, she just started laughing. Uh, great confidence booster, right? But it was because right when, when we found out and I accepted, uh, she was recalling where I was about 10 years ago in my relationship with Christ uh, and just how far we've come, or I've come, with Christ in the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, I was in college. Uh, I was making some pretty poor choices, and I did not have a relationship with Christ whatsoever. Uh, and the, the pinnacle moment for that was we were on a date, and I admitted to being agnostic. And she said, okay, well, then we're done. Um, and I was like, whoa, Okay. Uh, and so I realized then that she meant, went, meant business, uh, and so I did what any dumbstruck boy does. I tried to impress her. So I started attending Wilmington Church of Christ, uh, thinking, hey, this is what I need to do. I'm going to keep my relationship with her. So I was coming for all the wrong reasons. I was surrendering myself to a relationship with her over a relationship with Christ. All that to say, God was working in my life. He knew what he was doing. I was here for the right reasons for his plan. Spoiler, she didn't give up on me. 
Uh, and about six years ago, I decided to, be, uh, to, to reconfirm my life with Christ and was baptized. And again, on that same day, she decided she wanted to marry me. So it all worked out. So again, that was over about six years ago. And in that time, God's been working in my life uh, and, and how I can surrender to him and surrender my heart. Genesis 2, 15 through 18 gives men three things to work on. We are told to work, we are told to obey, and we are told to love. So many of us men in here and listening online, we're great at the work part, right? We go to work, we do work, we work on that honey-do list, all right? I promise I'll change the light bulb later, okay? But how often are we actually on a daily basis working to surrender to Christ? How often are us as men, we think we're manly men, but how often are we godly men surrendering to Christ on a daily basis? So we look at things and we think, yeah, I'm working, I'm, I'm doing these things, I'm providing, providing for my family. But what Genesis 3, 1 through 6 tells us is that if we're not there leading our house as godly men, Satan is going to come in. Satan is going to deceive, Satan is going to trick us, and he's going to break through those walls in our house. So we have to surrender our whole selves on a daily basis. In January, my small group, instead of looking at New, um, New Year's resolutions, we talked about words. We all picked words to focus on over the next year. Mine, again, was surrender. But again, I was looking at it for the wrong reasons. I had just recently started my own business. Things were stressful. I wanted to surrender the business to Christ, and that was going to make our lives a lot easier, both at home and everything. But again, I was surrendering a piece of me. I was not surrendering my whole self. And God just has continued to show me how I need to surrender to him, to obey uh, his commands, and do it on a daily basis. Also, I'm listening to a sermon series from Lake Point Church right now, and it's kicking my butt in the best ways. One of the things that they talk about is how men need to kneel down before Christ and surrender before we can stand in front of our loved ones and our friends. And that has just really been hitting home with me a lot lately. So without surrender or sacrifice, men cannot love the way that we are supposed to. So I'll wrap up here with Ephesians 5.12. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and just yield my time to the next speaker, okay? Just kidding. It goes on, all right? In our pre-marriage counseling uh, we had with Dale here at the church, he talked about how women have a verse on submission to their, their husband and to the church. But then it goes on to say that the men have an entire paragraph, right? I guess it just takes a little bit longer for it to get through our heads, right? And so it states... Men, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, we are called to work, obey, and love. Without all three of those, one of them will fail. So we must remember that we have to work on a daily basis to become godly men and be as godly of a man of our house as we can. I know, again, that there are a lot of manly men in this group watching online. I like to think of myself sometimes as a manly man. But... When was the last time you checked yourself on a daily basis with how godly of a manly man are you being? Are you waking up every morning and surrendering yourself to Christ again on a daily basis? Thank you. Dictionary doc. <laughs> Dictionary.com defines fear as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, pain, or anxiety, whether the threat is real or imagined. 
Let me give you a real-life example of fear. So I was at my grandparents' house working on homework, and in the middle of writing a paper, I receive a text from Dale. Now, a text from Dale just anyway scares you, but when it says, call me later, I have a project I want you to be a part of, oh my gosh, I was like scared to death. So I, I'm just thinking like, oh no, is he going to have me like teaching or like talking in front of people? I tell myself, there's no way. Like he's going to have me greeting people at the door or something. I was not greeting you at the door this morning, and I'm up here. So, yeah. So uh, he asked me to preach, and I immediately like think, I'm like, hmm, what excuse can I make up? I'm like, I could be sick. I could start a project for school and like, like start a little later so that I have to do it during church. But I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I'm like, I should probably do this. So I, uh, I read some scriptures that really helped me, and uh, I'm going to share those with you. So the first scripture I read out of was 2 Timothy 1.7. It said, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear, yet he gives us the ability and the power to overcome these fears. With fear comes anxiety, and that anxiety can keep us from taking part in God's plan. My dad always had a saying for my, uh, my brother when he got a little frustrated. Now, keep in mind, he never said this to me because I was a perfect child. But he would always say, uh, either you control your emotions or your emotions control you. We need to control our fear. Uh, we do not have to let fear control us. And if we control fear, we can then fill out God's plan in our lives. Uh, the second scripture is Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God promises us that he will be there with us and strengthen us. We can live with the comfort of knowing that the creator of the universe has our back and will aid us. And this is a promise. When God calls us to do something, he doesn't just send us off and leave us to just, you know, go do that. He stays with us, and he will encourage us and strengthen us along the way. Uh, somebody I know went to a restaurant. And while sitting down and eating, he saw a family across the dining room from him. He was messing with his phone case when a $20 bill that he had stashed in there earlier slipped out. He, uh, he saw it, and he, he immediately thought, oh, I should give this to this family that was sitting across the uh, dining room. But the fear crept in, and it said, oh, you're not going to say the right thing, or what if the family you know, gets upset at you or something, and, uh, or doesn't like what you're saying. But uh, he knew that he was, it was something he was supposed to do and that God would be there with him. He went and gave the money to the family, and they were incredibly grateful. God gave him, in that moment, the ability to face their fears and show God's love to others. The final scripture is 1 John four eighteen and 19. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you love the people around you enough to do stuff that might make you uncomfortable? Do you love God enough to do stuff that might make you uncomfortable? Things that will make your palms a little sweaty, your heart race a few beats faster, your knees wobble a bit. Do you love people enough to possibly experience these things? Fear, a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, pain, or anxiety, whether the threat is real or imagined. We have learned that God has given us the ability to control these emotions. We do not need to fear danger or pain. However, my favorite part of the definition is whether the threat is real or imagined. 
If you think back to the, the story I tell, told of the person in the restaurant, they were worried that somebody was going to be upset at them for giving them $20. If somebody gave me $20, I'm not going to be upset at them. I'm going to be like happy. Like, I'm, if anybody wants to give me $20 after this, I'm right here. I'll be walking around. But that cr- fear creeps in. Satan implants these lies and this fear to prevent you from taking part in God's plan. I'm no different than you, however. I am incredibly nervous to speak in front of you today. I am, like, shaking so much throughout this whole thing. But I know that the Lord is with me and that his spirit empowers me and that he wants me to do this. I pray that you will talk to the person that you're too afraid to approach. Oh, boy. And uh, (laughs) that you will go and do the actions that you're supposed to, but you're too afraid to. Uh, Don't let fear cause you to miss out on God's special plan for your life. Thank you. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Chances are you've said this statement numerous times in your life, and judging by the clapping, you probably have. And if you're like the McGee household, you probably say this statement on a weekly or even daily basis. And what's ironic about this statement is the tone in which we say it can dictate the seriousness of our situation. But I want to talk about a specific type of it's going to be okay. The kind where you don't actually think it's going to be okay, Will you keep saying it, saying it will be okay out loud in hopes of saying it so much that you will actually believe it. But deep down, you're telling yourself either, God, why me? Or God, I don't see it. This tone is usually associated with suffering and a fear of what the outcome will be. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us exactly how to truly believe it's going to be okay. Peter, in these passages, is talking to Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman government. Romans were experts in the persecution and brutality of Christians. The man who wrote this letter, Peter, was crucified upside down for his belief in Christ. And this persecution and suffering is the backdrop of the formation of the the early church. So, how did Christians still have hope in the middle of all this suffering? Peter says they were to rejoice in something greater than their current circumstance, something greater than than your current circumstance today. And that is that Christ will one day be revealed to us. And that is our ultimate hope. And this is not a passive hope. It's not the same type of hope for a sunny day or for your favorite ball team to win a ball game this afternoon. It's not even a hope for things that might be good and righteous. We hope for success in our career, good and righteous. We hope to get married and have children one day, also good and righteous. We hope that our loved ones will get healed from their sickness, good and righteous. These are all good and righteous things. However, all of these earthly hopes will fade away. There is only one hope that will never disappoint us, and that is a living hope that only comes from a new birth we receive when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. This should be the only hope we keep going back to and back to and back to in the middle of our suffering. I like what Tony Evans says about suffering. He says, the purpose is to see if you believe what you say you believe. So I want to read 1 Peter verse 3 through 6, and let's see if we believe what we say we believe. Peter starts out and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. 
You see, this is where our faith is tested in the trials of our lives because in verse 7, Peter continues and he says, We grieve and we suffer so that the proven character of our faith, which is more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire, but that refinement may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the suffering we experience in this broken and fallen world should do two things. It should refine us. And as we're being refined, we are drawing closer to God, not backing away from God. And that refinement process, it does not happen in our comfort zone. It happens when we're suffering. And as we draw closer to God, that should produce praise, glory, and honor. But that only happens when we have the right perspective about why it's actually going to be okay. You see, it won't be okay when we get what we want or what we think we need. It will be okay when Christ is revealed to us rather we meet him, we pass away, because this life is full of earthly hopes that we conjure up in our minds, and that's all earthly. So either we meet him, we pass away, or he meets us, Christ comes back again. This is our ultimate hope. This should be our only hope. All other things will eventually fade away, except for this living hope. And as I close, I just want to take a few minutes, if we could just close our eyes or keep your eyes open. And I want us all to think about something that we really want, something we think we can't live without, something that is the end all to be all. Then I want you to think about that, and then I want you to put that up against how that utterly fails in comparison to seeing Christ face to face. And if I could just close in prayer. God, we just we thank you for your living hope. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for our wants and our needs, but help us to not get caught up in that. Help us to get caught up in you and your glory and seeing you face to face. And God, I just want to pray that come whatever may, you would give us all deep-rooted hope in Christ. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.